Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. And welcome back to the PeaceWorks Podcast, everyone. On today's episode, we're going to begin a series of discussions answering your questions about the intersection of biblical counseling and domestic abuse. But before we jump into that content, I want to take a moment to remind you of PeaceWorks University. PeaceWorks University is our online membership community, and it is chock full of resources that I know will benefit you uh, in your pursuit of helping people uh, in domestic abuse situations with gospel-centered solutions. If you are benefiting from what you're hearing from the PeaceWorks podcast, then PeaceWorks University is your best next step. You can learn more about PeaceWorks University at chrismoles.org. All right, so we've been receiving a lot of questions uh, about my work in biblical counseling or more specifically the intersectionality, uh, how biblical counseling intersects with domestic abuse work. And, <laughs> excuse me. And um, I, I think there's a lot to cover here. So I'd like to do a podcast series uh, on, on that. And so today I just want to talk a little bit about the basics. You've heard me talk about the basics before, but I want to take time, I think, to really run them through um, a domestic abuse filter uh, so that we can understand a little better about how these tenants uh, apply to domestic abuse, because there is a reality in which um, the biblical counseling movement is still young. There are ways in which I think these principles are misapplied. I think there are sometimes values that overshadow our basic tenets, our basic principles, when it comes to serving victims and holding offenders accountable. So in this episode, we're just going to talk about the basics. I'm going to give you four big rocks. I've talked about kind of the two big um, theological positions, and they will be in these four, four rocks today, that being the sufficiency of Scripture and uh, progressive sanctification. And of course, those are central to biblical counseling, and they'll be central to our conversation. But I want to add two other layers to this, uh, because one in particular I think is misunderstood from the observing culture about biblical counseling, but I also think it's misapplied among biblical counselors, to be quite honest. And, and I probably misapplied this early on in my counseling ministry. So I want to walk you through, you know, four big rocks that I think are central to our work, maybe some basic tenets. Uh, obviously this won't be exhaustive. And so, um, you know, please don't take the PeaceWorks podcast as, hey, this is everything uh, about this work. This is just, you know, some foundational elements that I think would be helpful for us to dialogue about. And the first is, again, the sufficiency of Scripture or the centrality of God's Word. Biblical counselors have historically seen God's Word as the ultimate authority. And so our counsel is rooted in the belief that the Bible is the ultimate source of wisdom, the ultimate source of guidance, and uh, we as believers glean everything we need for life and godliness through the scriptures, the knowledge 
of Jesus. And so we have a high value on the scriptures. Now, sometimes in domestic abuse work, uh, this is highly criticized because some of the most effective strategies and practical applications and observations uh, within the secular response, right, have come from external sources. And we're not, as a whole, I would hope, I know we don't at PeaceWorks want to jettison that. And so we don't, um, we don't dismiss um, counseling that um, is informed by trauma literature or understands the effect of violence and harm on the body and how that affects our, our emotions and our heart. Uh, we don't want to dismiss observational material like the experiences that victims have. Uh, those type of things are very informative to us and I think helpful in biblical counseling. For us as biblical counselors, though, the Word of God is sufficient in that it is the central piece, the central place that we go for help and guidance. And so in domestic abuse works, this means that our counseling should be grounded in a biblical understanding of the topic. And so for us, it might mean a biblical understanding of relationships, right? A biblical understanding of violence, a biblical understanding of respect, a biblical understanding of human life and dignity. So the Bible teaches us things about people that are central to the counsel that we give, such as people being made in the image of God or people having, you know, inerrant dignity, you know, and value, um, that people should be respected and protected uh, within relationships. It also gives us dynamics of how that occurs in a Christian marriage. And so there's higher levels of accountability within the Bible for people in Christian marriages. So uh, our standards should actually be higher than the world's standard when it comes to protection and accountability and responsibility. So yes, as a biblical counselor, I believe the word of God is sufficient and it's our primary tool for addressing the evil of domestic violence. I think one of the dilemmas is that some folks under the title of biblical counseling have actually promoted a um, specific view of marriage over the rich, robust, full counsel of God's word that teaches us all of these things that I was just referring to, things about being made in the image of God, about violence, about respect. What does the Bible tell us about love and relationship and even aspects of headship and submission, and how does that equate into responsibility? And so as a biblical counselor, we're going to hold that the word of God is our ultimate authority. I don't think we should jettison that. I think we should actually double down on that in all the right ways. So rather than promoting, you know, maybe pet theologies or protecting um, practical theology that's not informed by our uh, held theology, we actually turn to the scriptures and ask those questions of the scriptures. What does God think about people? What does God think about relationships? What does God think about abuse? What does God think about power? Uh, especially as we're talking about domestic abuse relationships, because we certainly do that with other counseling topics like anxiety or depression or conflict. 
We look for what does God think about these things, and then how does he help people uh, grow and change and process and live within these aspects. And certainly when it comes to abuse, God's going to speak in regards to protection and safety as well as suffering and sanctification. So that's the first thing. God's word is sufficient. And so we would come down on that and say, yeah, peace works. We're sufficiency people. But that being said, we believe that the Bible speaks pretty firmly against the evil of abuse, uh, in particular domestic abuse, and quite significantly toward aspects of protecting the vulnerable, caring for the weak, and confronting those who are uh, committing such acts and doing it um, in a significant way, especially within the church. Uh, number two, uh, the, the other big rock I think is important here, a second one, is that sin is the root of all human problems. Now, I will say that and people like they will cringe because how that's interpreted by an outsider looking in and sometimes by insiders who I think are, are maybe operating a little from immaturity is that the individual's sin is the root of all their problems. It's almost karmic in that, well, if I do bad, I get bad. And that's not what's being said here, at least not from our perspective, but we would say biblical counseling recognizes that all human problems are ultimately rooted in sin, whether it's the form of personal sin, and that does happen. I make choices based on the idols of my heart and and corruptions in my own perception that are sinful, and it brings about consequences. I often tell guys that I've worked with, you can choose your sin but not your consequences. So that is part of it, personal sin. But there's also the aspect of living in a fallen world. So understand that when we say sin is at the root, it is not saying that your personal sin must be rooted up. And I think if that's our only approach to counseling, right? If all I have is a hammer, then everyone I counsel will look like a nail. So if that simplistic view that your problems are related to your sin, um, then I will give problematic counsel. But that's not good biblical theology. When we say things like sin's the root of all human problems, we mean, yes, personal sin affects us, but so does living in a fallen world. So does the noetic effect of sin that, that impacts everything about me. That, that I am this, and we are all these complex creatures of human depravity, right? That this, this complete, utter sinfulness and human fragility, this broken frailty that is also the result of living in a sin-cursed world. And in the context of domestic abuse, this means that abusive behavior, that which is perpetrated by an abusive individual, is the manifestation of their personal sin. That they are sinning, and that is the cause of the harm they're doing to themselves and the harm that's being done to a victim. So is a victim's sin creating the abuse? Of course not. But is a victim impacted by sin? Yes, the sin of the abusive individual who is choosing out of their corrupt perceptions to participate in these corrupt behaviors that are impacting their partner in devastating ways. So the the perpetrator is manifesting sin. It, it, that is missing the mark. And I think that's one of the things that goes back to point one. 
if we believe in the sufficiency of Scripture, then we must be ready to hold abusers accountable to say, your abuse of power, your willingness to coerce and control and to threaten and to create a climate of fear, misses the mark dramatically from what God's standard is. And so rather than looking for ways to mutualize the abuse, to say, hold a victim responsible for an abuser's sin, why don't we just call sin, sin, and and process that appropriately and do what we were trained to do and hold the most responsible person accountable. Um, these acts of power and control deviate from the design that God has given, both his, in not just his will, his written will, the word of God, but his heart, how we understand him from the word of God, right? And, you know, his very image, as we've said, which is a theological principle that's being violated here. So that's the root cause. So sin is a root of all human problems. And some will be like, oh, we can't say that. Well, of course we can say that because we're living in a sin-cursed fallen world. And so the shame of another person's sin is affecting me. And it's not, the answer then is not, well, I have to own my sin. I have to own the fact that I was, you know, not so gracious when I was being abused. That's not, that's not the principle. Are there, are there ways in which God wants to sanctify you even in the midst of abuse? Certainly. Is that um, primarily about your repentance of sin? I don't think so. I think it's about the confrontation of the abuser's sin um, and his choices initially. So God's word is central, it's sufficient. Uh, sin is the root of the problem um, because we live in a sin-cursed world. The gospel then is the only real solution. And so biblical counseling should be gospel-centric. We really shouldn't have biblical counseling without the gospel. And that's why many of us <clears throat> who practice biblical counseling deny or reject the notion of behavior modification. Will our behavior change if our hearts are affected by the gospel? Sure. Is the behavior change the gospel? Of course not. Of course not. We serve because we are loved. We don't serve in order to be loved. And so the gospel is central to the solution. So God's word is sufficient. Sin is at the root of human problems, and the gospel is the real solution. Biblical counseling emphasizes the transformative power of the gospel that brings healing, restoration to all areas of life. Let me say that again. Biblical counseling emphasizes the transformative power of the gospel that brings healing and restoration to all areas of life. Of life. So when counseling a domestic abuse case, I'm asking myself the question, what does God's word say about relationships, respect, power, control, what I'm seeing in this, this relationship, right? What I'm seeing in this use of power and these coercive words and the threats in the climate of fear, what's God saying about it? Do I recognize that sin lies at the root Certainly, an abuser's sin is, is the manifestation, right, of, of these entitlements and pride, and it's affecting, it's spilling over into every relationship in their life, and it should be confronted with what? With the gospel. Because his only real hope is redemption, and the victim's only real hope is healing because the gospel will meet both the perpetrator and the victim, Right? I want to know him in the fellowship of his suffering and the power of his resurrection. I need 
both to identify with my Savior who identified with me, and I need to experience the power that only he can bring. And, and that's both, that's redemptive for both those who are being harmed and those who are doing the harming. And so, again, biblical counselors will be gospel-centric. I think for some of us, the discussion needs to be, what do we believe the gospel is? And I, I do think the harm comes. I think it's always, it may always be centered on simplicity, friends. So if, if I say that God's word is sufficient, and by that I mean it has clear prescriptions for every problem, I just need a concordance to find it, that may be overly simplistic. Then understanding that God's word is sufficient for life and godliness, and there are principles here that are going to help me become more like Jesus um, that, that it is the ultimate authority, and I can rest in and be comforted by those words. If, if I see sin as the root of the problem and I'm overly simplistic, then I will blame everyone for every aspect of their suffering and demand repentance and confession in order to solve the problem, like I'm dealing, again, with, with some form of karma, as opposed to nuancing the problem and understanding where this person's coming from, how they have been harmed and how they have done harm, and then helping them walk through what it's like to be sinned against or what it's like to sin, what it's like to live in a sin-cursed world, and to balance this, this dance of, again, depravity and fragility, that the gospel, again, is the solution. And if it's simplistic to the point that it's only transactional, and I'm saying, hey, if you pray this prayer and you believe these principles, then all will be well rather than You've claimed to pray this prayer. You've claimed to believe in these principles, and yet your life remains unchanged. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Has the gospel permeated your existence to call you into conformity with Christ? I am, I am convinced that the gospel is richer and deeper than simple transactional realities. And then lastly, if I may, in the few minutes that we have left, so God's word sufficient. Sin is a problem. The gospel is our primary solution. And then the means by which we grow and change is what we call progressive sanctification. It's the belief that after becoming a Christian, a person is gradually transformed into the image of Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit. The process of sanctification is lifelong. It involves um, the work of God. It involves to some degree, our individual effort. Uh, when looking at domestic abuse cases, this is central to the work that we're called to do. So we should be really good at this. And it, it pains me that we, we miss so many opportunities to function well in our wheelhouse. And, and we're not living up to the, the potential of our movement, I think, because when applying the doctrine of progressive sanctification to domestic abuse counseling, we recognize that sanctification involves not only an individual spiritual growth, but all aspects of their heart, emotional maturity, mental health, behavioral development. These will bleed out into how they live in the world. This means that an abuser must not only grow in their initial relationship with God, like having that transactional relationship, but it will manifest itself through taking responsibility for their actions, working on changing their behavior and their perceptions. 
it's important that we emphasize the need for repentance with abusive individuals. A willingness to change needs to be present. So we, we address underlying issues, certainly like entitlement and pride and control. We want to help them develop then healthier alternatives, godly alternatives, which is this is right in our wheelhouse. Like I can't think of a more, pardon the, the older word, but it is, it is true. I can't think of a more nuthetic relationship than that of a mature believer working with an abusive individual. So we continue, the, the doctrine of progressive sanctification um, continues not just in that personal relationship, but it emphasizes the importance of accountability. We need help of community. We need support. So we encourage abusive individuals to do that, to make changes. We hold them accountable when they don't or when they try to squirm around or manipulate us. We call them back to the gospel. So I bring all this up because, again, I want to talk about this over a few weeks. And I know not everyone is going to agree wholeheartedly with what I'm saying, but when I get questions, and maybe some of you are getting questions, well, Chris, how does biblical counseling actually fit into domestic abuse work? Because it seems like you guys just fail time and time again. And I do think there are some realities to that. I think we've got to get better at that. There has not been, uh, to my knowledge, a real effective process that's been adopted. Um, at least, you know, basic principles that have been adopted. But even if you take our basic tenets, and that's all I wanted to do today, just those basic four elements that I would say all of us hold and practice, the sufficiency of Scripture, the, the, the devastating nature of sin and its role in our lives, the gospel as our primary and, and and core solution and the doctrine of progressive sanctification, I think there's a lot of hope there in the domestic abuse world. A lot of hope for us as people helpers uh, as we walk alongside folks who are suffering. And even for those of us who maybe are lay people or biblical counselors that sometimes feel a little bit overwhelmed or are wondering maybe we, we shouldn't get engaged. There are aspects in which we can be vital to this work. Uh, if we stay in our lane and I think we understand our key principles. And hopefully this podcast, at least initially, uh, has energized some of us to say, yeah, when it comes to these four elements, they apply to domestic abuse and they can be helpful when they're not simplistic, right? When they're not weaponized, but when they're held um, and affirmed from a biblical, sound, helpful position. Well, I do hope that that was a helpful conversation. We're going to continue uh, this conversation in the coming weeks, but my hope is that we will find some of that common ground as pastors and helpers that um, can allow the Word of God to be central to our work and can see people helped and people receive hope and that we can you know, begin to weed out maybe some of the simplistic and unhelpful ways. Uh, in which we have responded to the sin of domestic abuse. Well, thank you for listening to the PeaceWorks podcast. We so appreciate you. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe. Uh, let folks know uh, that you're listening to the podcast. Let the platform know that you appreciate us. We appreciate you guys so much. Until next time, God bless.